Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You could easily fall into a trap of like just building up stretch goals and then you've eliminated any money you're making for yourself. So there's just there's just like a lot of pressures that all kind of prey on that piece of our brain that like has been completely corrupted by the world that we live in with the fact that money is intrinsically 100% tied with our ability to like eat food and have a roof over our head and be comfortable. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro, which at some point I'll change. Uh, you can find me at Jeremy Gage 5 over on Twitter, but that is not about me today. Today... We're getting the first guest I've ever had on the show. Back on the show. Oh, the first, the first get not the first one back, but the first one ever. Yes, I got it. First I was one like, ever, no, Spencer period. came back first. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't tell by the title or the beautiful resonant voice, wow. a sweet baritone, I'd like to welcome back to the show, Adam Bell. <sighs> Hey. Hey, thanks everybody. Thanks for cheering me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I am Adam Bell. I am the person that makes games. Not the person. I'm one of many people that make games, which of course you could find over at adamebell.games. You can also find me on Twitter at adamebell or maybe you're listening to this and it's about to be Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. In which case, you can listen to both of these voices on the Tabletop Call-In Show. That's a thing that we're doing. Yeah. So come talk to us. If this podcast isn't enough, which, like, maybe it will be. Maybe this is too much. Of Anyway, hello. <laughs> hello. I don't have a spiel yeah. down yet. 
to introduce it's myself. Fine. One day I'll get there. Me neither. <laughs> this is smallest. I just made a link tree, so go check that out. I don't know. Adam, for someone who might be listening to this as their first episode, why don't you give just a small introduction of who you are in relation to the tabletop game design space, like games you've made, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I am a person that makes some, I I mean, they're small games that probably, there's a chance that you haven't heard of them and that's cool. Maybe this will change your mind and you will go hear of them. But, But the examples would be No Stone Unturned was my first like big release. That's what we talked about in the first episode of the Draw Your Dice podcast, which you should go listen to. I feel like it was pretty good. I've made a handful of other things like I'm currently working on finishing up Grasping Nettles, which I ran a Kickstarter as a part of Zine Quest 3 for. And I wrote My Brain is a Stick of Butter, which is a solo game about my experiences with ADHD. That's Honestly, that's probably the one you might have heard of of any of them, because I feel like that one got shared around a little bit more. It's good. Everything I've made is good. I that's, like my own games. That's my guarantee. If you have sensibilities that are exactly mine, you'll like what I make. Speaking of grasping now, so today is going to be some, we're going to have some interesting topics here because we do have a game to talk about later in the show called Reliance, which is currently being hashtag itch funded. We're going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. We didn't coin that term. That belongs to Max. I want to make that, I want to make that known. But before that. How was, you know, give a brief introduction of what Grasping Nettle is as far as a game is concerned. And then let's talk about your experience with Kickstarter. Because I think this is going to be a little bit more of a business of game design centric episode rather than a full game design analysis. Yeah. So Grasping Nettles is the result. I I mean, this, this whole episode might tell a tale of where I was in game design at the end of 2020, which is I, I knew I wanted to run a zine quest project because no soon in turn that we had just mentioned was my first foray into publishing games for myself. And it was a scene quest 2019, whatever year. Good Lord. Time is fully dilated at this point. Lord and savior 2021. Right. <laughs> it was the second zine quest that I ran that. And like, as a complete nobody got like a hundred people to buy my game physically which like felt pretty cool and throughout 2020 given the type of year it was i kind of was on and off with game design i made a few things i got 50 percent of the way through a few projects but didn't really i hit a slump halfway through and then i took like two weeks off of work and immediately the creative juices started flowing it's funny how that works and so i i sat down and I had the idea to make a video series about like, okay, I'm going to design a Zine Quest 3 game from scratch and I'm going to show you how I do it. And those videos still exist. We talked about them briefly in the first episode, but they will get back to those later in this episode, I think. But they did not, they kept spiraling. It, it, it spiraled a little bit out of scope for what I thought I would be able to pitch by February since it was December. And so I sat down a few more times. I wrote another game that isn't out yet called Creature Feature, which actually I'm going to have to change the name of because somebody else released a Creature Feature. I wrote a monster game. That spiraled out of scope. I need to get a whole deck of cards of art and stuff commissioned for that. So then I sat down and I wrote another game. And this time, this Grasping Nettles came 
nearly fully formed out of my head. And that is... That was long. That was a lot to explain. How I how I made grasping nettles. What? So let's what talk about what it is. Nettles? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> grasping nettles is a storytelling game where you build up a community as, as as a table of players, and then you see what happens to it over the course of generations. So it's a game in which you are playing a game. Fucking. It's a game in which. Everybody is kind of on the same playing field where you're just building this world and like getting little bits of story here and there. It's not like a standard regular RPG, like with a GM or anything. It's a GMless storytelling game. And the idea is there is a central board that I created that if you know anything about board games and are familiar with the term rondel, roundel, you'll know what I'm talking about. But basically it's a circle. I call it the wheel in the text of the game that has a bunch of different actions. And those are actions you might see on different world building games. So things like create a location. So that's just make, define a place in the world, create a character, tell me about somebody, a bunch of things like that. There are 11 total, but the biggest one, the, the, the coolest one, I guess, is the advanced generation, which eventually when all the pieces of the board land on that, you look at everything that you have everything that you've built, all the locations and characters and, and factions, and you collectively decide what happens to them as time passes. And then you jump back in. So it's about constantly like seeing what problems these people are dealing with. And then whenever you get, you start like running out of steam to see what happens with them. You just jump forward. And in that jump forward, you get 20, 30, 40 years of new problems to deal with. And then you keep going. I had the opportunity to play this over on the Plus One XP stream with Adam. Uh, great game. Great world-building game, as some might have coined it. And, yeah, I can attest to how good it is. It's a very good game. It's basically about, you know, exploring war. If you're not... I'm not a good world-builder. So often I use tools like Grasping Nether... Uh, grasping Nether is lol. Uh, <laughs> That's a different. Yeah. That's a different act. Whole different genre. <laughs> Grasping nettles and beak feather bone to sort of help me guide myself into creating a world that I'm pleased with as I work on my own projects and stuff like that. And so, yeah, community world building, and I love that there are pieces to it that allow for you to be like, okay, let's. Because one of the things I think make an interesting world is the history of the one you're making for a setting. When I think about a lot of these, like setting defined mechanically setting defined games right when we talk about something like band of blades or blades in the dark right where they're defined by the setting they're in mm -hmm. and the history of that help i know that in the make of blades in the dark they played uh, a pbta game i don't remember what it was but they played that destroyed their setting and then said okay now this is the setting for my Blades in the Dark game at, at per devlog with John Harper. So yeah, I think it's I think it's a powerful game. I think it's a powerful tool and it's fun. It's a tool and it's fun. And you can't ask for <laughs> anything more, really. Like it's it's the perfect game. Wow, the perfect it's, game. Nah, uh, I'll anyways. take it. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> put, do you want to put that out there? It's the per. It's the world's own, but. Yeah, how was the Zine Quest experience? Because what we're going to find in, in this episode, folks, is that if you've been listening for a long time, this is going to come from pieces of, like, 
when I had Tyler Crumrine on the show a long time ago, when I brought Spencer Campbell back onto the show and we talked about the frame Kickstarters and things like that. How, how was this process? What, what did running Zine Quest 3 do to you, Adam? Yeah, uh, that, that's, a, that's a big question. As you might imagine, that's probably why you're asking it. Because there's a, a couple different ways to look at it and think about it. Because like the the first, the easiest, if I just like remove who I, <laughs> if I remove the way I think about basically everything from the equation, it was great. I mean, I mm. I put my game up there. I got to be like, I joined a couple of discords and talked to other people that were putting their games out there and had like some camaraderie there uh, a lot of people backed my game so like all of that stuff like the surface level landscape of how zine quest 3 was for me was good it was very good but then you kind of then i then you start to think about like how it feels to to be running one of those day to day how like the different pressures that that platform creates and applies like starts to affect the way that your brain is working for the two weeks, which is short. It's a short campaign compared to like a full, I'm doing this for a month, but yeah, like, so it's, it would be easy for me looking back on it to be like, yeah, I mean, I did some work. I put my game up on a page and then people put their dollars on that page. And now I'm putting that work onto real physical pages and we'll mail it to them. But I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to jump into me no, not necessarily you know, liking Kickstarter as a platform, and then also maybe ZineQuest as a platform on the platform. <laughs> so I think that, and hopefully this helps like jog this conversation. But it's from what I understand, I've never made. A Kickstarter. I've never crowdfunded, so I'm a fully outside observer, and I think that comes with its weaknesses, but I think that also comes with its strength. So I get to see a lot of the feedback, you know, in the Brain Trust community, in Spencer's Gila RPGs channel, and other channels about how people overall feel about, first of all, Zine Quest, right? Because one of the things that I think people that I've seen is that they don't like the formatting that Kickstarter defines a zine to be <laughs> for Zine Quest, right? It sort of turns it from this DIY, you can make an RPG out of anything into a specific category of creation that has uh, particular rules to it. And that potentially goes against the code of Zine Quest. Am I hitting the nail on the head at some point here there's there is that that is definitely part of it like they're in the first i don't know what they did in the first year because i didn't really participate and i only learned about it at the very end so i caught the last couple of projects but in the second year they did have this whole page that was like okay so a zine that qualifies for zine quest is something that's run for two weeks something that only uses one color of ink and there were probably some other things which yeah, there there's definitely a lot of umbrage to take with that. Is that a word? Umbrage. <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'm gonna look it up real quick. Sorry, listener. <laughs> oh, it's just all Harry Potter. Give me the definition. But yeah, there's there's a lot of yeah, a feeling or of peak or resentment at some often fancied slight. Uh, <laughs> so perfect. <laughs> Very close. <laughs> so easy to yeah take umbrage with. 
this corporation, which is all Kickstarter is, it's a big, horrible tech corporation. There's, there's no two ways around it that is imposing rules onto something that they didn't create. Kickstarter didn't make zines. Like it's cool for Kickstarter to provide a platform for people to make lo-fi content and to try to encourage that, but presenting that as the rules that you can have a conversation about that. I think I'm not super. The only thing that I hate about that is the fact that they present them as rules, but then don't do anything about enforcing them. Mm -hmm. So it, all it does is serve to stress creators out, which is the whole Mm -hmm. platform. So it's all about like, Ooh, wait, if I submit this, I had this great idea for a game that I think would be great for a short Kickstarter campaign that I can, you know, get the funds to print it and send it out to people. But, ooh, there's two colors on it. Now I'm stressed about submitting it. So that's why I don't like those rules, particularly. Mm-hmm. It's because it's just an extra layer of bullshit. And the other thing it can do is sort of poison the conception of create the ethos for, like, quote, unquote, unquote what a proper zine is, mm-hmm. right? So someone who's never seen a zine game comes into Kickstarter sees the rules for what a zine is, assume that because Kickstarter Kickstarter is a giant corporation that they know what they're doing and they understand the branding <laughs> of a particular category. Yeah. And for that new consumer, it's like anything outside of that scope, you might get the person like, oh, that's not a zine, so why are you calling it that, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And, you definitely get the... And that's not helpful. Yeah, it, it, it installs this sort of like defining what a zine is type of culture into the event itself which even if they're not applying the rules, you still will get the super backers that might come in and be like, this is a book. This doesn't count. Uh, Why is a zine $60? Yeah. And and then they start like demanding that things should be lower priced. And uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to it. Super backers. It's whole other podcast episode. (laughs) Maybe that's the call in show. Call in Sunday. Ask us about super backers. We'll we'll have a super backer special where we can all complain about gamers. (laughs) I'm going to write in the episode ideas right now. Super backer episode. Uh, um, So yeah, I, I think my real complaints with, with Kickstarter and running a Kickstarter are the way it kind of like, it kind of preys upon all of the ways in which like the system, the economic mode of capitalism that we live under, which we're going to get into, I think later in this episode, <laughs> but that's kind of me, but pray into the way like consumerism and everything else just like tickles different parts of our brains in arguably insidious ways. And that's both from the creator aspect and from the like consumer backer aspect so from a creator's perspective you're running this campaign and every time if you've got an iphone for example that has the kickstarter app on it and you are running a campaign every time somebody backs or cancels their pledge your phone vibrates and it tells you the person's name and how many dollars they gave or took away took away in in quotes because you're allowed to cancel pledges that's fine it just feels kind of bad when it's presented like that Mm-hmm. So like it's constantly there in your mind. And then if you don't have one of those because of the like make or break way that the campaigns work, you're kind of like there's just this part of your brain that is tying your value as a creator directly to the number as it goes up. Because there's a number that you want to hit, which is a goal, you know, the goal that you set. I set grasping nettles, the goal to be $1,500 because to me it felt like. It would be worth it to continue polishing that game as it is 
for $1,500, then yeah, mm-hmm. okay, that's enough money for me to take it. And instead of just releasing like the rules on a fairly minimalist like PDF or something, let me get some art on this. Let me get some nicer layout. Let me get some guest writers. But as soon as you're, as soon as you're not hitting that goal, or as soon as you do hit that goal, every time you check that page, you just want the dollar amount to go up because the higher that number goes up, the more fucking, Oh wait, this is a PG 13 show now. <laughs> go ahead. <It's- laughs> just that's a danger zone comment. <laughs> The The higher that number goes up, the more like worthy I am as a creator. And that's not true. There's no part of that that that's true. The top of your brain that is having rational thoughts knows that it's not true. But for some reason, and it feels pretty universal from everybody I've talked to that's ever run a Kickstarter campaign, that's what it does to you. And I don't know what it is. I don't know exactly what Kickstarter is doing to make it feel like that. I think part of it is the way that you just have access to every like second by second here's who's giving you money here's who's canceling yeah it's the curse of notifications it's you know i've shut off all notifications on my phone so i imagine if i ran a kickstarter i wouldn't know what was happening but i (laughs) I have no idea but i bet you would you would feel compelled to log on and and look at the number and did i make it damn it right oh it's the same as it was five minutes ago i'm yeah yeah i'm not worth it yeah, when uh, we start attaching our our va- our uh, intended value to a time frame, right? I think that's also one of the crazy pieces of a Kickstarter campaign. Specifically, talking about the vacuum of Zine Quest and how it's such a short campaign, and you're that, and you're surrounded by so many other people that, like, correct. by all rights, you're not really competing with. But like, because my game is way different than your game is way different because mm-hmm, they're. Mm-hmm. They're all the RPGs, demographics in which they attract is yeah. going to be totally separate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like looking over and it's like, oh, why is that person making X, Y, Z? And if you don't stop yourself and say, hey, stop, don't compare yourself. Like it's very natural to be like, look at these two numbers. That one's bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is bad. It's a bad space, bad headspace to be in. And it's kind of encouraged. And it's. But it's like you're kind of crunched for time when people are trying to like donate or or when they take away it's like shit i have 2 weeks to make $1500 or whatever the time frame was mm-hmm. for zine quest and you know you hit day 10 and you're at 800 and you're like you know you know like eh, it's probably not going to happen and there's like then it hits 1500 the next day and then people start taking away pledges for whatever <laughs> reason like it's just this wild roller coaster that the main issue is that it's constricted by the time frame in which the event occurs right yeah yeah and it, it's constricted by that and then constricted also by like kickstarter's internal like messaging that it gives to creators things like oh you should be making sure to update everybody and like there's no official thing for stretch goals but like there's this culture that kickstarter has cultivated where yeah sure you hit your fifteen hundred dollar goal but why would what else are you offering like the backers are going to want something new and so it's just you're constantly like you could easily fall into a trap of like just building up stretch goals and then you've eliminated any money you're making for yourself yeah, so yeah. there's just there's just like a lot of pressures that all kind of prey on that piece of our brain that like has been completely corrupted by the world that we live in with the fact that money is 
intrinsically 100% tied with our ability to like eat food and have mm-hmm. a roof over our head and be comfortable. So even if you're somebody like me who is doing games as like maybe eventually I could do this as a job, like maybe doing this can can lead to me being a job, but I have like I do it after my job or mm. don't tell anybody that I work for, I do it during my job. Uh <laughs> and so like any money i make on that i basically currently treat as like this is what you buy games with and Mm -hmm. also think about quitting work and and doing games but like even even with that even with it just being like extra money that if i didn't find this hobby a couple years ago i just wouldn't even have thought of getting like money from a kickstarter it's still tied to that piece of my brain that's like oh you got to get you got to get money to eat. You got you got to pay rent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where's it, the stretch goal that says Jeremy can fill his fridge for the month? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like instead of giving away huge slaps of art, just you know, yeah, put a chicken in my fridge, bro. You don't need more. You don't need more art in this book. Jeremy needs a, a new chicken to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would phrase it specifically <laughs> like that. Anyways. So yeah. so that's the thing. <laughs> that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, and I, it just it brings that. Obviously, any interaction with commerce is going to Mm -hmm. have those. And, like, probably a lot of people don't feel it quite as intensely, depending on how their brain's set up. But everybody's different. And, yeah. So, I Mm -hmm. don't know. There's just a lot there that you don't see and you don't think about until you're experiencing it. And then after you experience it, you kind of delete it from your brain, unless you Mm -hmm. are thinking about it. You're like, oh, it's over. Whew. Forget how I was feeling for two weeks. My best, like, analogy, not in terms of maybe, like, a commerce standpoint, but, you know, I think about, I used to work in the restaurant industry, and, you know, you don't, there's so many people you run into that just have no idea what it takes for a person to service you, like, to bring you a drink, to cook you food, and to do it with a smile for an entire two hours when you are just like, I don't know, I didn't really like it, and this place stinks, three stars out of five stars, Yelp Elite. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) can can you fucking come back here for just like one week and experience death? (laughs) Yeah, anybody that's ever like, I don't know, people should work in restaurants for a little bit just just so they can shut up. (laughs) High school requirement, dude. But my point of that is that if you're a consumer, on just the surface level, buying a Kickstarter project, especially in the tabletop role-playing industry, think about all the work that goes into writing, visually designing, uh, project managing, especially when you bring other people on board to your situation and we're not into, like, we're not in a state where we can be physically in one place together, so you're you're networking with people over internet connections, which can get fuzzy and troublesome at some points. You're mm-hmm. coordinating emails. There's a lot that goes into designing a game, a ton, and that's why partially we're talking about this today. Is that you know that why you keep backing up for me? Are you you want to fight me? It's I'm just making sure that any mouth sounds don't get. If I feel a mouth sound coming on, I back away <laughs> so you don't have to deal with it. sorry i didn't mean to put you on blast i was like am i doing something and i fidget i'm just a fidgety i rewatched the tabletop show and like you're fairly i mean probably because you're sitting yeah but you're fairly still and then like the whole time i'm just (laughs) 
dancing. <laughs> just all over the place. It was, it was challenging to watch. But I think part of the we have, part of this episode is to also help demystify what goes on on the background, not including the communication that you have to have with the Kickstarter agency as a whole, like getting that customer support or whatever, and that can be taxing for some mm-hmm. people from horror stories that I've heard about. Not that I'm going to share on this, uh, but I'm sure there are articles in light or out in the world that can definitely show you through a different lens what that project is, what that project structure is like for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because as as a person running a Kickstarter for a game that you're making, like depending on how much of this work you hire out, of course, like it's, which depends on how much money you can make. Like you have to, I mean, you're, you're designing the game, which is one skill set. You're writing that design into words that other people can hopefully parse, which is a second skill set, like designing a game and writing it to be understandable. That's completely different shit. You're editing it or getting an editor, you're laying it out or getting a layout artist, you're, printing it or getting a printer like there's just all of these steps that like 75 different hats that you have to wear over the course of of creating a game that eventually gets delivered to a backer who paid usually like 15 dollars for all of Mm -hmm. that to get done for them and so yeah i have been very fortunate to not have any bad customer experiences but like i mean people just should cut creators a break Mm because we're going through it Mm mm-hmm it's gonna be late. Yeah. <laughs> Just deal, dude. I, I love it. I love this. I love this conversation. I think it's important to have if we're gonna change uh, the current status quo of things. Adam, trends. It's been four months since your first wow. episode with us. Yeah, long time. Long time listener, first time. Second time guest. I've been busy. Did you see me work through that one in my yeah, brain? Yeah, I did. I'm smoking, dude. You better not cut any of that pause out. I want the, <laughs> I want the listener to hear it. Hear the gears turning. What trends are you noticing in the tabletop role-playing game space, whether that be something you want to speak into the ether or something that you keep seeing in like your Discord communities or in your Twitter feed or something like that that you think is interesting or maybe something that you're seeing that is potentially detractful and you kind of want to caution against others to attach themselves to. Are you nudging me towards a certain conversation here? No, is that, is not this at a, all. Is this a nudge, nudge, wink, wink? We, we can t- we're either way, Reliance is going to lead us into itch funding. You know what I mean? Like, either way. So if you want yeah. to talk about it here, we certainly can. I'm trying to think if there's anything. Last time, what did I say? Boxed games? Yeah. Did you listen to your episode recently? No, I just have a big brain. Wow, it's so wrinkly, dude. <laughs> I love it. Wait, well, hey, I don't know. What's so itch itch funding and and alternative crowdfunding is something that is worth shouting out, even if I wasn't currently impulsively engaging with. Let me let me think for one second. I know I should have had this in my brain before we hopped on a call, but you're fine. Yeah, so. I racked my brain long and hard trying to think about something else because I knew we were going to get to this in a bit. But I think the thing, the trend that I would like to talk about is like alternative funding opportunities for creators. Just thinking about ways to use maybe platforms we already have like Itch or a future of new platforms 
to not go to Kickstarter. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be, I mean, like the the obvious if it the obvious if you've heard of them, but if you haven't, you should hear of them. Example would be that during Scene Quest, there were two campaigns running that were not on Kickstarter. They were on Itch. That was Thomas Novosel's A Greeblin's Journey, which is like a solo journaling game about a little Greeblin going on a journey. That looks wonderful. And <laughs> Bo Yager's The Man in the Stag, which I haven't read yet, but I did back. I need to download it. It's like a two-player game that seems very neat. I'm sorry I'm not pitching it well, <laughs> if you're listening, Bo. Your game looks very cool. Yeah, so those are those were both, like, for various reasons, they didn't want to engage with Kickstarter, and so just ran a crowdfunding campaign right there at home on their Itch pages. To, to decent success, but not as much success as I would like to see for that kind of thing, which is kind of why I want this to be a trend that moves forward. Because, like, being the first people to do it, like... They, I know the man in the stag has funded, and I hope the Greeblin's journey will fund. But like being the first people there, it's kind of a weird thing. You just get seen by like game designers that are like, "Yo, wait, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hello." Uh, I would like to support this now, please. So, itch funding is this yeah. concept in which we're trying to find an alternative to Kickstarter by creating a space that a gives us room to breathe in terms of a time limit, right? Because sort of the initial concepts we've been talking about in different channels is about, you know, if my pre-order makes it to the total of $2,000 or something like that, I can produce a a artistic version, a visually designed Mm -hmm. version of this game. Or, you know, if it reaches 4K after that, it's I write an extra adventure or I add an extra character class or something like that. Some of the same things that you would do with a stretch goal in Kickstarter and apply those more to total sales than to, you know, not acquired dollars and still having something to produce on like that, that back level. Right. So I know that in the brain trust, we were talking about something or uh, Jeff Stormer was talking about how there should be some like minimum viable product that you get for free when you pre or not free, but like when you pre-order this game that you can use, take play, whatever have you. And then finally, when we hit that 2k mark, we finally get to achieve a pretty book, pretty print, or whatever have you, or maybe additional pieces to the puzzle. In addition to other things like that itch is already a storefront where your product can live on in longevity. Whereas in a Kickstarter, when your Kickstarter is done, nobody can back it further unless, Mm -hmm. you know, backer kit stuff or you put it up on your website or whatever. But that's an additional step to something where if we can figure out how to accomplish this in itch.io. And it's, I think what's important about saying all of this is that itch.io is the first step to many steps in terms of figuring out what a proper storefront, crowdfunding, tabletop RPG directed space or really any game honestly space content creation who knows it could be the future for a lot of crowdfunding opportunities especially when you consider adding a storefront option to it but it allows for the games to live in longevity like even after you stop marketing one game and you start marketing another for your next itch fund project like people can still go back to their game where on kickstarter that's not possible they can't go back to back grasping nettles yeah. They have to now buy it from this point forward on your store. Right. 
which is redirecting that market to another location again, which, you know, is hard on the internet sometimes because people don't want to click more than one link at a time, so. Right, and that is, like, one of the benefits. There are a few benefits, I think, of Kickstarter that, like, we're not necessarily going to get to recreate with this, but, like, one of the benefits that theoretically could be recreated is that Kickstarter is, like, a known entity and it's a place where people know that when they go there, they're gonna they're gonna dump money out of their wallets onto people's mm-hmm. stuff. They're just gonna dump it. Uh, <laughs> but that that one to me feels like something that is recreatable. So like the point of hopefully this becoming a trend, the point of of thinking about this as a long term thing and maybe eventually organizing like a big event where a bunch of people do it in the vein of a zine quest. The the, the idea there would be to build that audience. And, and like wrestle it from the hands of the, the Kickstarter lich who is currently like, that's the big thing is you go to Kickstarter and people are there already. But if you can get a critical enough mass of that to a different place, then the people will be like, oh, all the cool stuff's happening over there. Yeah, exactly. And they, exactly. And they walk on in. And then once they're there, they'll be like, oh, this isn't just crowdfunding. You mean I can, I can buy this right now? <laughs> I can have it in my hands and not wait till 2022 to get this game. <laughs> yeah, and then maybe we will all sell more games in that mm-hmm. way. And that can bring a lot of us closer to doing this for money instead of for for fun. Yeah. Or whatever it, whatever it is that we're doing this for. The combination of both. <laughs> work can be fun, but work is work sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so there are a lot of conversations happening in these spaces where... You know, we're just re-examining them. I know that I'm going to have Tyler Crumrine on here soon to talk about his new company, Possible Worlds, which is a publishing company. He'll have way more details about it. I don't want to, like, ruin that episode with this episode. But it's good stuff. It's I think that he also very much wants to change the landscape of how his games interact with mm-hmm. the overall marketplace space. And that's all what it really boils down to. I, don't, I think what's important is that in our current form of America, is that there are buyers and there are sellers. This is economics. Our current form of America. Zero, zero, one. Yeah, current form of America. Buyers and sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when you make a thing, you have to attach a value to it because, like Adam said earlier, you need money to literally survive in this mm-hmm country and it's not given to you unfortunately so you have to find ways to take it from people that's a strong word you have to find ways to justify your existence to the forces of capital yeah yeah which is unfortunate but it is what it is and and sometimes that is art like art is often not a viable strategy but except for sometimes when it works for people uh, mm-hmm. Which is what we're doing here. We're doing a, a kind of new and, and neat form of art that facilitates play. Love it. But, <laughs> but yeah, under we have to justify our existence. Like we have to be a productive force in the eyes of of the the, the capitalist forces around us. Otherwise, we don't get to eat and we don't get a place to live. So yeah. the standard form of that is to sell our our labor potential, get a job, and make stuff however abstract that making stuff is and then receive a fraction of its value back. Of course, this is all we don't have to get into. <laughs> no, it's fine. Let's go to 202. Uh, 
Just brain dump economics. <laughs> <laughs> and but but in the case of of making art, it's purely a luxury product. So it's mm-hmm. people that are selling their their labor, getting th- that small amount of value back, and determining what will make the rest of their day worthwhile, which is where the artist comes in. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of like two degrees separated from where that money is. You're 80,000 degrees separated from where that money is actually being generated. <laughs> but at the same time, you still yeah, have to eat and have to live somewhere and have to have medical care. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it takes a lot to make these little garbage flesh bodies of ours wake up every morning. <laughs> I'm going... Is that what I'm tattooing on my body? Garbage <laughs> flesh body. <laughs> you got to feed the thing every day. You got to turn it off every mm-hmm. night. Oh, God. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's important to state that this is like the real state of things. And we're trying to figure out how to adjust because this is going to lead us into reliance, which is good. We have to figure out how this, I'm going to see if I can do this right, contradiction can Ooh. be overcome by those with a revolutionary passion who can subvert the uses of the capitalistic mind force and use their tools against them to create a better community. Fuck, he's good! (laughs) I threw my pen. Uh, Do you need to get that? No, I have many more. So this is what you're working on. This is your itch funding experiment, Adam. Reliance. Tell us what it is. Introduce us to the game. And let's talk about the overall strategy of it. Yeah, so I talked at the beginning of this episode, if you can remember. I had talked about the video series that I was doing. That I sat down and decided I wanted to make a game for ZineQuest, but it spiraled out of control. Not out of control. It just, I want that to be a book, the game that I'm making in those videos, which I would not have had ready for March. And so I, I, those videos are kind of paused right now because I started working on Grasping Nettles and got that to where it is, which, and then I'm still working on Grasping Nettles to finish it alongside of all this other stuff. And Reliance is the, it, I took the framework of the game that I was making in that video, in those videos and like just made it in its like smallest form I could think of. And then try to think about like what that, what kind of story that could tell. And so what Reliance is, is it's a game where very recently the city that you live in, which the default setting says that you're probably in like a industrial, maybe fantasy, maybe not city that recently went through a socialist revolution. So the, Productive, the, the dominant productive force of your society, much like ours, is capitalism. But in the city that you live in, you are able to drive out the capitalists and like seize control of the, the ruling apparatuses in the city that you live in. And so then that's the backdrop of the game. And playing the game is just about trying to take that world that sucks, like ours, and... <laughs> Crazily enough. Right. <laughs> And turn it into a better one. Like, be characters that continue the work of revolution after the the 
initial bloody fight is over because revolution is a constant process like if you you can't just you can't just like guillotine some rich people and then call it a day because there's always more rich people and they don't want you to have nice things and they don't want you to live an egalitarian life etc so it's about it, it's it's a game that pretty ham-fistedly asks players to conceive of a better world to think about what that looks like and then also to consider how goddamn hard it would be to build it but also hopefully convince them that going through all that hard work is necessary Mm -hmm. uh, and is worth it one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So that's that's the overview of the game. <laughs> yeah, how do you so, play it? How do you play the game? Yeah, so it's it's kind of it follows currently a fairly standard not I mean not super standard but you have the players and then you have the GM and so the players are all making characters and to make your character you choose you know you get your name if you have pronouns what you look like and then also what role you play in the revolution like maybe you were a frontline fighter maybe you were just somebody that had a brain maybe it doesn't matter there's a lot of tasks to, mm-hmm. to throw a successful revolution. So like which one of which one of those did you do? And which one of those do you continue to do? And characters made up of that and then some bond or boons. And then the boons are just mind, body, and heart, which is how you are gonna be helping each other. Or no, not mind, body, and heart. That's no stone unturned. Mm. Physical, mental, and emotional, same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but it's Literally like okay, words. if you are doing an action i can use one of my boons to help and then you also have nine stats and nine perils and what the stats are these stats 
are the verbs that you do. So mm-hmm. those are things I should really have it. The stats are assemble, converse, exert, guide, listen, mend, seek, surmise, and traverse. Yeah, so those are those are the things that you do. They're fairly broad. This definitely takes like a nod from Fortune in the Dark games, mm-hmm. where you just have these things that have some overlap, but whenever you go to do a thing, you're going to be doing one of these verbs. So, And then the perils are the other thing that's the other side of every die roll. It, those are the things that are like internal to you that are getting in your way, that are preventing you from acting in the way that you ideally would. So those are apathy, clumsiness, confusion, diffidence, fear, greed, lust, morality, and pain. So every time you go to roll dice in this game, which is, I, we can talk about the structure in, in a minute, but like anytime you know something is not super clear on how it resolves, the GM's going to tell you what your stat that you're rolling. So like maybe you're trying to gather a crowd and tell them to do something. So that might be the assemble stat. And then you're going to think about like, oh, what is it that would make me not do this as well as I could? And so maybe you're like, I don't really, I don't know if my character really cares about this. Like they're doing it because they know they have to, but their heart's not in it. So then the peril you pick would be apathy. Yeah. And then you roll the dice, whichever, whichever each of those is mapped to a die, whichever die wins, that's how you determine the result. Does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) No, I'm here with you. And each die gets assigned a, or excuse me, each stat gets a particular die size attached mm. to it based on character creation things. Because I know that in the game you state that there's not really like a mechanical progression to the game. Right. It's all narrative progression because you're trying to make sure that this revolution sticks, right? Yeah, yeah. The progression is, it's the progression of the fictional world state if you can take it from you know kind of probably a little bit thrashed from all the fighting if you can take that and rebuild it and and make sure that the people of your world are eating and housed and eventually having a nice time also but those first two are a little more important (laughs) (laughs) that's the progression so yeah all the all the stats and perils are assigned to either a d10 a d8 a d4 or a d6 and obviously the stats that are d10 that's the shit that you're good at. And then the perils that are a D10, that's the shit that you grapple with the most. That's the stuff that mm-hmm. gives you the hardest time. And then pieces of this is also based off of Indie Hack, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, from the front of this, back of this, where that you get to add hard details, scene details, soft details, and the like. Yeah, so it is. this did kind of start as a hack of No Stone Unturned, which mm-hmm. itself pulls the resolution of the resolution system so it has its own resolution system but the very end of it where we decide what happens in the world is pulled basically one-to-one from the indie hack by mm-hmm. slade is it slade stoller mm-hmm. i believe where yeah that's just a, a matter of assigning details and either the players or the gm get to assign details to the world and i just love that that's really good because it allows it, it's a great way to show players that they are allowed to make big sweeping changes to the world because mm-hmm. whenever I as the GM react to your die roll failing and then I say okay I'm adding the hard detail of the forces of the neighboring city are at the gates now and they're they're pounding them in that's a huge change probably and so then when you get to add a hard detail you start thinking like oh wait a minute he 
he made a fucking whole army materialize. I could do something here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dragon so yeah, that, rains fire. <laughs> that pushes the story forward, hopefully a bunch. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's the player facing roles of the game. It's fairly it's fairly standard, I think. I mean, the stance and perils thing, if you ask me, is pretty cool. Well, it's your but, game. So. <laughs> <laughs> the idea that every die roll you're grappling with internal internal shit is. I mean, that's just the kind of play I like to do. I like to think about how my characters are feeling. But then the GM half of things is where it gets a little bit also similar to other games, but also, I think, way different. And that's because the game on the GM side is based on, like, this idea about that everything in the world is contradictions. This is, like, a an idea of Marx's thought. I had read <laughs> the essay... On Contradiction by Mao Zedong, which just details about how everything in the world, if you look at it hard enough, is a contradiction between two aspects. Mm -hmm. So, and then each of those contradictions has a primary aspect, and then like the other aspect is not the primary. So, the primary one is the one that shapes that relationship. So, like the most obvious contradiction, like in the in the world, is that you know. There are rich people that own shit, and then there are the working people that make shit but don't own anything. Mm-hmm. So that like that class struggle is itself a contradiction that like the rest of our society forms around. And so I, as I was reading that, not to like gamify important theory, uh, <laughs> I've read that like right after I wrote because I was trying to think about like how how can I drive this like premise home how can i make it so that people don't just like tell a sad little not sad an easy little revolutionary story where like all you do is you win (laughs) because that's not that's not good that's not entertaining that's not realistic that Mm -hmm. you know you can keep telling saying things that's not but that is the default way i think that we would tell that kind of story because we want it to have like we want the world to get better we don't want to acknowledge that that's hard to do to make Mm -hmm. it better so yeah i I started i went down i started reading more of the things that i've been meaning to read which like part of the reason for me writing this game is to force myself to read that stuff (laughs) because then i can say oh it's game design research it's not just i'm not just reading this you know (laughs) but also Uh, it's okay to just read things yeah but it's the it's an incentive structure in my head that like I'll sit down with a book that I definitely want to read, but then I'll be like, what if I didn't? What if it just didn't happen? <laughs> what if I just did anything else besides reading? <laughs> like lay here. <laughs> right. Just turn but the TV read these on. books. Yeah, well, I read that essay. It's like a fairly short essay that just talks about that. And I was like, that's great. Like, for one, that's a great tool for thinking about the world that, like, you know, I feel like a lot of us maybe intrinsically kind of do it, but to like lay it out in great detail, like everything is contradiction. There's this, there's that. It's a great way to run a game (laughs) also, (laughs) because if that's the way the world works, if you can model the entire world and all the conflict in the world around that system, then you can model a fictional world around it as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so the GM of this game is sitting around all of these tracks that like just have... It's a line that has four circles in it. And so on either side of that line, you'll put the two aspects of the contradiction and then you'll check off whichever 
side, like you'll check off one of the circles to indicate like where that relationship sits. Mm -hmm. So it'll be, if it's closer to one aspect, that aspect is the, the principal aspect of the contradiction. And as such, it's like the driving force of that relationship. So the two that I have in the text, which hopefully if this funds well enough on the itch fund, I will be able to write like an entire pamphlet about mm. examples because there's kind of a lot to, to think about, but yeah, there's a lot to digest here in a game like this <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit surprised. Like the one I've played it one time so far, I'd like to play it some more to, to test out the systems a little bit more rigorously, but there was a lot, I was expecting it to be kind of packed, but mm -hmm. I was happily surprised to see that these two trifolds really went for it. That's awesome. In play. But yeah, so one of them is like the yeah, most obvious. Yeah, by the way, these these two pieces of this game, I'm sorry, we may not have said this, but <laughs> they're pamphlet trifolds. Like this is not a this is not a book. I mean, it, it it's great. It has the right amount of everything in it. But it's two it's two pieces of paper, and it's yeah. awesome. Which of course I'm not the first to do. There are a lot of Correct. great pamphlets out there, but it feels good to get it to get information. So yeah, one of the examples of these contradictions that should be the easiest, I think, to understand is that one like on one half the world still uses capitalistic production, and on the other side is we're moving towards a socialized production. So like you're a city in a world that is still run by capitalism, it's still run by the the forces of profit or the primary motivating factor of everything you do. But you in your little city, you're trying to not do that. You're trying to move towards, which obviously is not something you can snap your hands and, and do, mm -hmm. a, a mode of production where instead of considering profit, you're considering what people need. And so that contradiction through play is going to manifest in a ton of ways. And depending on which, sides, which side is, is principal, because like, if you're trying to think about, oh, how do we, how do we make enough clothes for people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when the old way of this was in the city the the factory owners that made clothes they were importing the fabric from a different like a different place in the world and bringing that in in exchange for either money or or maybe some like trinket like maybe this city was the primary producer of what's it like a toy that isn't uh, useful thomas the tank engine. yeah this, we got the thomas the tank engine factory here <laughs> and like don't get me wrong, Thomas the Tank Engine, that's a cool train. I love trains. Mm -hmm. I, I won't shit on a train, but we don't need those toys. If we're trying to give all our people clothes, like, and if we were previously just buying clothes from elsewhere, but, like, we're not producing money anymore, like, to grapple with that contradiction, do you still make the Thomas the Tank Engine toys to sell, mm -hmm. to get money, to then buy the clothes that you can give to everybody? I don't know. You. That's a really... That's a big question that a lot of mm -hmm. <laughs> a lot of countries have had to grapple with. <laughs> trade, trade for train, please. Yeah, because like ideally you don't participate in capitalism at all, but because it's the whole world, because the whole world runs on that, like you have to you have to engage in some degree with it in order to trade, in order to maintain, like being able to bring in clothes, being mm -hmm. able to bring in food if if you don't have farms, like all this shit. So the game is just like asking you to think about how the fuck you even start to address that. <laughs> yeah. And also helps you think about like if you're not 
right now it helps you think about how these things actually work and you're, like these are one of those games where it's thought provoking where you be like huh how do we get like uh fish from japan right like how do we get sushi grade fish from japan all the time mm-hmm. what does that take what are we yeah. giving them right like who's making it who's fishing it who's cutting it who's preparing it for us right all the right all the steps in which we get one item in the world and you just removing that, like just a singular item can change the entire ecosystem of how our capitalistic system works. Right. Yeah. And like it, it, thinking about that fish, like as a city that's trying to uplift workers, like if you continue engaging in that trade to get the, get that fish, like that is that, a problem for you because you're that the worker that's fishing that fish, he's not getting paid enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know it. So like, yeah, I don't know. How do you, how do you deal with that? Great question. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You find answer. out, play the yeah. game, play the play to find out what happens. <laughs> how to get to the fish. The uh, and so why this is great to talk about today in conjunction with all the other things that we've been talking about is that you're trying out this itch fund model for yourself with this game at current. Is, is that correct? Uh-oh. Hello? Waiting on you, Froze. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Keep talking. Uh, keep recording. I, th- I think we're back. Are we back? Are we here? Are we in? Can you hear me? Yes. What did I just say? I don't know. I said, what did I just say? So yeah. that's the last thing I said. <laughs> what did I just say? Yeah, yeah. No, my, so why Reliance is good with all the conjecture that we've had here today, you are attempting to itch fund this at current. Is that like you're attempting the itch fund model for Reliance? Is that correct in saying that? It is, yeah. Just kind of on a whim almost. Yesterday, I, I sat down to build out like an itch page thinking about like, oh, maybe I'll run the itch fund. And then I just hit public and now we're now we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and that was a lot of that was motivated by you and Keegan will be live before me, right? Yes. Did you talk about the necromancer? No. God damn it. Well, Keegan, <laughs> previous guest of the show, Keegan, uh, assuming recording order is release order. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to look under the Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> Previous or future guest of the show, Keegan, KeeganEXE.itch.io fame, has been pretty vocal about this being a good thing to do and is currently running one for a game. And like, I've, I was just looking at that being like, that seems good. Mm-hmm. I think I want to do that. Because, yeah, obviously, Greenland's Journey and Man in the Stag also did it. And there are a few others. Hanukkah well, Goblins but... by Max Pfeffer. Mm-hmm. Anyone can wear the mask by yep. Jeff Stormer. Jeff Stormer. Yep. I think there are two. We're just gonna start ones. name dropping. Yeah, great. Just get them all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think the way Collect Keegan, all six. I think the way Keegan specifically approached it was the the ultimate inspiration for me to finally do it because mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure Keegan was like, "What if I just did it? I don't know." As opposed to treating it like. A, a Kickstarter, which is something that you really build up to, you spend at least a month preparing all the assets and mm-hmm. and whatever else. But like like we were talking about, the advantage one of the advantages of itch is it doesn't have doing this on itch doesn't have the deadline at the very end, exactly. the, the end date. 
So it like immediately removes a lot of that stress. Like, oh shit, I'm not funding. Let me reevaluate the way that I'm marketing this and thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And so like that's how Keegan jumped in, and then it, 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 Keegan's doing pretty well with with the Necromancer. Like obviously, mm-hmm. all of this is still it, it, it all pales in comparison to like big money in games. But like sure, but like what is what is that in comparison to like the value in which you put something on? Right when we say mm-hmm. like big money, and then that that phrasing like connects Kickstarter being the quote unquote successful platform. Like, <laughs> well, I just mean all, like, it's even, all relative, you know what I mean? Even my Kickstarter is nothing compared to big money. If we're talking about sure. like the dragon game, if we're talking about the one ring, like these things that are just bringing in millions and millions of dollars. Like, yeah. Yeah. I'm, we're nowhere near anything like that, but like for us, it's a fairly decent level of success and like but also we see glory stories like i just played coyote and crow a few days ago a week ago per the recording of this and that's already at half a million and they were asking for like sixteen thousand. yeah that exploded immediately yeah which is nice fucking huge and, gr- <laughs> and kudos to them like yeah but that's not an everyone's story no it's and not yeah i don't want to I don't want to say anything about luck here because they certainly deserve every dollar they're getting and they're doing some really cool stuff, but that's not going to be everyone. That's not going to be the everyone experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And luck, luck isn't there. We don't really have a word for the type of, cause it's not luck. It's, it's so much as like they're presenting a product that like is very unique in our landscape, which like hopefully they're paving a way for a world in which it's not unique. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But at the moment, like, it's just, you know, everybody's got to climb on to, like, support that kind of shit because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good to see it. But anyway, the the whole thing with, with the itch funding thing and, like, the way Keegan approached it as, like, a very casual, I'm going to do this, I'm working on this game anyway, why don't I just put the pre-order page up and see if people want it? Because then... Mm-hmm. Instead of it being a relationship with like, oh, I've put so much work into this Kickstarter campaign and into the game as it currently stands. And if that number doesn't go up, I I don't know what I'll do. It, it transitions it instead into, I put in a decent amount of work for the pitch of this game. And here is what it's going to look like. And if people come in and pay for it on a pre-order system, that is immediately to me like a flag. Hey, why don't you? You're working. You're working on something people want. Keep mm. keep working at it. It's it's encouraging as opposed to, like, it, as opposed to instilling fear. I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it helps keep you liquid in some form. So depending on the type of brain you are. But for me, when you yeah. talk about it that way, I'm like, okay, right now, like, I'm a very priorities organizational systems person. And like the second I see, okay. Well, this project is for some reason hitting critical mass and a lot of people are pre-ordering. Let me like just table what I'm working on this immediate second and pivot back to that and be like, okay, let me see if I can get this next, you know, stretch goal or whatever you want to call it, uh, mm-hmm. pre-order goal off the shelf and into people's hands, right? And I think that that's also a benefit of the non-time constrained uh, structure that this itch funding concept can can give people. Yeah. And it's nice, and and it's something that like you can keep going after you release it. So like, the idea of me writing Reliance in general was to take the ideas that of of the system I built in those videos and get it down, put it make make a game a small game out of it so that I don't forget what it is. So that later, whenever I have more 
bandwidth to like make a big game, I can come back and make the big game out of this system. And so then that combined with also let's set up this pre-order page while I'm finishing up the design and development of this to see who wants it. Like the, the thousand dollar goal on my itch page, which I don't, when I posted it yesterday, I didn't, I don't really expect to hit a thousand dollars anytime soon, if ever, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. pre prior to this on itch itself, I, if anybody like close your ears, if you don't want to hear dollar numbers, Mm. listener but prior to this dollar dollar numbers warning (laughs) just hit that hit that 30 seconds forward button right now Mm. prior to this i hadn't made more than a hundred dollars on any of the games that i've made on itch Mm. on kickstarter obviously i made the five thousand for grasping nettles and and two for for no stone unturned but on itch itself nobody's buying my shit which is fine Mm. because it's that's like that's the place itch is the place that so far, I just go to put the ideas that I like, that I have put work into, but I'm not expecting a revenue stream out of itch right now mm-hmm. for where I am in my game design career. Eventually, it can become one for people that you know ha- have built a platform, but like for mm-hmm. me right now, I'm just trying to get as good at game design as I can be and then also have enough things that I can prove to people, yeah, I'm good at this come by my new big game that I'm going to mm. release at some point, you know? Yeah. Big <laughs> I game. And there's a thousand ways to approach that kind of thing. Yeah. That's the way that I'm approaching it. Just, just trying to build slowly. And but it yeah. does have some tools that I think a lot of people kind of like from Kickstarter. Like Kickstarter has some scalability stuff in terms of like emailing people and the whole backers kit thing and everything like that. But it also has like, constant devlog updates that can pretty much be infinite like they can mm-hmm. you know hey we we hit that 1k a sales goal update you know i'm going to be dropping the new class here within the week or something right. like that or whatever that time frame for yourself is yeah um, well for me and- my i don't know if i ever finished the thought <laughs> but my one <laughs> my one thousand dollar goal is i'm gonna start working on the big game that is based on mm-hmm. this so like ba- mm-hmm. the bankers won't get it but it'll be enough of a sign to me that like go for it um, yeah yeah which is also good I, I don't know i don't think that's blanked <laughs> no you're blanked. good <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's such yeah. a big idea it took you aside <laughs> But yeah, like like you started saying, there are a lot of features on itch that that can replicate or at least maybe not replicate one to one what Kickstarter mm-hmm. does, which we don't we don't need to do. We don't need to replicate one to one because that's then we'll not be what we're attempting again. here to do. Yeah, that's yeah. not what we're trying to recreate. We're trying to see the things that itch can provide us in terms mm-hmm. of its tools, in addition to figuring out or examining the structure in which Kickstarter exists and why it's potentially successful for people and see if we can delineate to something that is more within the designer's control to approach. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got you've got the devlogs, you got the ability to email people. I think I figured out a way to get people to sign up to be like emailed but that haven't given me money. So mm-hmm. like I put it on the page as like just claim claim this reward tier if you don't want to give me money right now, but like maybe you will when it's mm-hmm. released. So then I'll email them later and maybe get a boost whenever the game is released finally. Yeah, there's there's a, there's like a lot that you can do there, but it is also I don't think that this is a replacement for Kickstarter. 
right or or the kickstarter model so much as a another option essentially that both will have their pros and cons because like we were saying like you're probably going to make there's a good chance no matter what we do no matter how big of an audience we build around itch funding there's a good chance that like kickstarter is still going to be what makes the most money sure but it's not right for every project and not every project needs that like mm-hmm. for for me two two trifold pamphlets maybe four trifold pamphlets depending on how much it funds mm-hmm. that's i don't i don't want to go through the stress of a kickstarter for that yeah yeah <laughs> and if and if that means i make a little less money on it that's that's fine because mm-hmm. i'm still like i'd rather do that in the platform that Yes, is still run by like a company, and still there's a lot out of my control. But I feel encouraged to create on, as opposed to just feeling like the product that Kickstarter is selling, essentially. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like for Kickstarter, the creator is the product, and then people come in and dump money on the creator, and then Kickstarter is sitting there, obviously scraping a fair mm-hmm. amount off the top. <sighs> Let's not even yeah. get into that pay cut. Uh, <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot of percentages. But have you got something? No, I was just going to transition into TLDR tips if if that was going to be the <laughs> sort of ending energy of it. I, was, I think the only other thing that I would add is, like, it, I do still plan to run at least one more Kickstarter. And that's sure. because there's, like... The, the the benefit of the all or nothing funding on Kickstarter is a real one for a creator. Like if I, the next project I want to make is going to be a, a boxed game, like we talked about mm-hmm. in my first episode, mm-hmm. and a boxed game has a ton of upfront cost. And so I yeah. don't, I would not want to do an itch fund type thing where I say, "Hey, give me money now, and eventually I'll give you the product," because right. if only. If only 30 people show up to my box game and I'm on the hook for 500 minimum copies from a manufacturer, <laughs> that's a problem. Oh. That's, that's me in the red. <laughs> <laughs> that's the black, baby. So that's where the Kickstarter goal like should be used. Is like, okay, I will set that to where I get out of, of debt <laughs> if I actually go forward with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, as we sort of say it out loud, to me, as an outside perspective, itch seems like the working horse, So, or this itch funding concept seems like the working horse model for, like, loose ideas, Ashcan projects, fucking... Games that you're going to make anyway. Yeah, exactly, that don't require a whole lot of it. It's, it's still investment. I want to make that clear that I still yeah. recognize the work, as I've said throughout this video, but it's certainly a trifold pamphlet project is much different than the latest D&D 5e mm. supplement book, right? Like yeah. those are two very different scopes and one does not fit on the other platform in some ways. Yeah. yeah, and you could if you were willing to like invest the time and like if you're going to make that big ass book anyway, then maybe the itch funding thing will work for you. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you need money to start, if you need if you need a certain amount of money to be able to pay the artist to to like get the thing that is in your vision, yeah. then it's not quite as good. But also, 
if you don't need the art but just want the art, that's we're back to itch. We're back. Exactly. We're happy. We're happy again because you could be like, once we hit seven hundred fifty bucks, I'm gonna get that art and it's gonna mm-hmm. be good. It's gonna be. And lit. everybody, everybody that that bought up to it is gonna get it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Adam. As always, at the end of the show, in case people just want to scrub to the end and get that juicy, juicy game designer, game business knowledge, it's the TLDR tip section of the episode. I am going to pull out this box. It is going to have dice in it. I'm going to roll this dice. This is going to be a concept I want you to talk about to whatever your experience is. Great. Take your time. I can edit out the dead air. Uh-huh. As I say in there every will, TLDR. Too. There will be some dead air. Yeah. Good. Very <laughs> good. And I'm rolling. I hope you heard that at home. That is going to be a four, which I believe is collaboration. So, did you have this tip last time, too? No. Heard. You I, had, com- that- I had community last time. Oh, her. Yeah, it's that, it's that <laughs> big fold in the brain that lets you remember all of the episode information. <laughs> I mean, well, for me, I've recorded one of these, whereas you've recorded a ton, so it's a lot easier for me to remember. Adam, would you speak to a tip about collaboration, whether that be resources, tools, best practices, whatever have you, for the listeners at home? Huh. And does not have to relate at all to itch funding, which has been <laughs> central to this episode. Collaboration. Coca-Cola. Collab- How about this? Here's a tip. Collaborate on shit. No, I think I think what I want to bring up is maybe something. Let's let's take it away because I I'm pretty sure other people have talked about how collaboration is good mm-hmm. on the show, and obviously we all know that. Like if you and another person can build up a rapport or a a way of working either digitally or maybe your neighbors or roommates and want to want to work together that's great there's plenty other tips about that i don't need to talk about that i think what i want to talk about is like the the other half of collaboration it's not a half a different type of collaboration (laughs) which is just like i don't know talk about games with people Mm -hmm. you should like if you want to get into games making games thinking about games etc talk about them with people either that like games talk about them with people in your life find online communities join the draw your dice discord (laughs) i've literally not said it one time (laughs) and you said it more times on my own show than i have it's important yeah it's it's starting to starting to bubble up in there (laughs) (laughs) the box (laughs) but yeah i just like it's a type of collaboration that you can't really put like a feeling on. You can't exactly like explain what it's doing for you necessarily, but like just the act of, of every once in a while, whether it's daily cause you have a problem like some of us or like just weekly, maybe you, you have a conversation about games, just talk to people and like, think about it. Be Talk about like, Oh, what if I did this in a game and like, see what people say and then like, react to what they're saying and like build on it just build on on hypothetical things that might never come into any game that anybody's making which 
I don't know. I, th- I find that fun. I find like if somebody posts in a discord or, or on Twitter that I'm in like, Hey, what is, uh, I've got this cool idea for a mechanic. I'm not going to make it anytime soon, but like, what if you took a D 20 and never held it above your head and spun it like a top. What if that was your mechanic? Obviously that's ridiculous. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm doing about. it right now. <laughs> I got a nine. But but then everybody comes in and is like, ooh, wait. If this was an actual good idea, not drop a D20 from the sky <laughs> <laughs> onto nothing in particular. Yeah. The distance people will start, you throw it. People will start replying like, oh, yeah. And then if you did that and, and built on it in this way and you just start building this like collaborative mechanic that nobody will use. Well, maybe somebody will use it. But mm-hmm. like there are so many f- f- ideas that are out there. It's fun to just make ideas for the sake of it. I've heard so many that are like risking to change my entire concept (laughs) for Kaleidoscope because I'm like, fuck, that's good. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) But then I just have to pocket it away in my own little resources folder for later. There you go. That's next game. Yeah, that's next game. So many. Yeah, I totally agree. I just put out a copy of Kaleidoscope in PDF form and the first piece of con the uh, first person piece of feedback i got was from adira adira thank you it was very sweet it basically said holes are too big for me to absorb this completely and i said that's great because that tells me that i don't know what i wrote when i put this out there like that's good information for me so that that form of collaboration just talk about anything like ooh, this is cool or that's not cool it shows what people right. resonate with and it like it helps validate some things and it helps you grow in other places all at the same time, right? Like someone who really likes your dice resolution mechanic, but will also say something like, what if you added this? And you're like, fuck, I could never have brought those two <laughs> things together because you're not, you're only one person. And to use only your own experiences and perspectives to create a, I mean, you can. It's not impossible, but I think you get more powerful versions of whatever the fuck you were thinking of when you put three people up against it and say, huh, let me just file away this edge. Wow, look at this now rounder, more solidified sphere of stone. Look at that sphere of stone. Yeah, the analogy yeah. escaped me, but the idea is <laughs> there. <laughs> but I think an important, an important like asterisk footnote to this is like make sure you're doing this like if you are going to talk about stuff make sure you're not just like bringing up your own ideas and yeah, trying to yeah, get yeah. people to better them make sure that this is truly collaboration and mm-hmm. not just like an extractive relationship yeah two-way uh, two-way for sure yeah like so if somebody brings up their ideas like you know nobody should be this shouldn't be like a quota thing obviously <laughs> yeah yeah you shouldn't be score. like oh well i i engaged with jeremy's threads three times He's only engaged with two of mine. Jeremy owes me. <laughs> that butthole. <laughs> None of that shit. But like reacting, reading people's work, thinking about people's work is all in itself work. So like just respect that and I don't know, collaborate on stuff at the end of the day. Mm. And then maybe eventually the two of you will design a game mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. Ha <laughs> <laughs>
That is going in, dude. <laughs> I love it. Well, Adam, I think yeah. with that can opening, <laughs> damn, I think that brings us to the end of the TLDR tip. Great tip. Great collaboration. For the folks at home, why don't you go ahead, plug yourself again. Tell them where they can get in touch. This is the second episode this man has had to do this on. Fucking talk to this man. He's got great great ideas. Yeah, you can find me anywhere at Adam E. Bell. That's my name. And <laughs> there are a lot of Adam Bells out there, but I'm the one that usually puts the E between our names. Ignore the other ones. They're no good, probably. I've never got the, them. The club. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Adam E. Bell. You can find my games at adamebell.games. Eventually, you'll be able to go to adamebell.com for like a list of stuff. And by eventually, I mean you can do it now, but it's not pretty. So don't go there yet. Maybe I, maybe that's the motivation I need to finish that. Uh, <laughs> it's before <laughs> this episode, this episode comes out. Now yeah. you can go to adamebell.com. You have three weeks. Uh, yeah, you'll, you can find the Reliance Itch Fund situation over at adamebell.games. It's right at the top of my page. You can look out for my... Whenever I'm done with fulfilling the three crowdfunding things that I'm currently embroiled in. I'll probably be running a Kickstarter for my game, Uneasy Lies the Head, later this year, hopefully towards the end of the year. That's going to be sweet. It's going to be a box. It's the box game I was talking about. It'll come in a box, have cards. It's going to be It's going to be aimed at people that don't play RPGs. That's the idea. Yep. Is to get. It's, I'm not going to use the word RPG, so you'll have to look for it. <laughs> 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 that is a smarter thought that it came out as maybe maybe if jeremy has three peat guests we could talk about it in however many months <laughs> we will we will for sure you, you're definitely welcome to come back anytime <laughs> but uh, yeah the last place you could find me like i said at the beginning is on sundays at 4 p.m eastern daylight time on the Tabletop Colin Show at twitch.tv slash Bell with Adam Bell and Jeremy Gage, where we will talk games with you if you call in. About games. Otherwise, we can talk about other stuff, too. Yeah, we don't. We're not going to kick anybody out for bringing up, like, the weather. But yeah. don't, be, don't be boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love the weather. As always, I have been Jeremy Gage. I have had a great time listening to Adam Bell. I hope... You have too, because I learned a lot, and we will see you next time. Say bye to the people, Adam. Goodbye. Sorry I couldn't make the longest episode. We'll get there, I promise. <laughs> <laughs>
If you want to be a part of the conversation or hang out with the alumni from the show like Adam, you can also join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.